And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen. Thank you, Oscar. If you could hear a recording of your prayers over the last six months, what would you hear? You know, I think if, uh, you know, statistically speaking, uh, for a lot of us, uh, if we do pray, our prayers would go something like this. God, help me. Uh, you know, I've got this interview coming up. Would you please help it go well? You know, I've got this uh, relationship dynamic happening uh, in, at the workplace or in this social circle over here. Would you please make that better? God, I'm getting ready to move in the Silicon Valley. Help. You know, these sorts. I think if, if we're real about it, I think a lot of our prayers would skew in that direction. Um, if anything, maybe mostly, if not all, of our prayers could, could go in that direction very easily. Uh, but what we see in this most famous of all teachings in the Bible of prayer, Jesus teaching us to prayer is prayer is so much more than that. That's not to say that those sorts of prayers, God help me, are bad prayers, by the way, but prayer is so much more. Uh, I have read this. A prayer is simply the key to everything we need to, kn- to, to do and be in life. Can that be? And if so, how? Uh, that's what Jesus shows us here in this text. So let me say a prayer, and then, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, Father, I just confess uh, here and now that, boy, this is a daunting text to, to, to seek to teach. Uh, there's been a lot said about it over the years. Uh, it is... It is uh, it could easily be a sermon series in its own right, let alone one, one sermon here. Um, and above all, uh, it is just so concise, concisely said and powerful in its message that we can't plumb its depths here and now. And so I guess our prayer is, one, uh, would, would, you, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill us each with your spirit? And, and two, would you, would you help us take away what you would have us take away today? Uh, there's so much here, but would you, would you touch us where we are today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This prayer, this famous prayer starts this way. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If there's something we learn here at the beginning of this famous prayer, it's this. It's ultimately not about you. Prayer is not ultimately about me. Uh, there's, There's so much more going on there. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not about you or me. Prayer is about him and his relationship to us. That's what I think is going on in these verses leading up to this prayer, verses 7 and 8 that were also read. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they, 
for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I was reading that and trying to get my head around that. Like, if God already knows our needs, why do we even bother to pray? I mean, if He already knows what our needs are, then what's, what's the reason to go ahead and pray? That's just it. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's First and foremost, prayer is the way that we intimately come into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Uh, we, he, we get to connect with Him, that He hears us, that He listens to us, and what's more, that He wants to hear us, that He wants to listen to us, that He cares for us. He is our Father, Jesus says here. Um, get this, there is no evidence of anyone before Jesus using this term to address God. I was hinted about in, in some of the Jew- Jewish scriptures, but it's never mentioned. No one ever addressed God in this way, Father. And yet here's the Son of God saying, cry out to Him as Father. What's more is our, our, our translation from the original language into English is, is originally from Greek, but Jesus actually didn't speak Greek. He spoke a language called Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the, lang- the, the word that He would often use to say Father, the same word that's in the Greek and, and in our English, it was Abba, was this really intimate word to say, Daddy. Uh, you guys know Jimmy Fallon's new children's book, Everything is Dada? And you guys see that? It's making a killing, obviously because Jimmy Fallon's name and all that sort of thing. But there's a reason why it's also making, it's, it's really popular, is there's a lot of power in that word. Everything is Dada, and then you wrote another wor- book, wait for it, Everything is Mama. Uh, there's a lot of power there um, in, in, in this sort of intimacy that God invites us into, desires from us to call, call out to Him, Daddy, Father, in our prayer. But He's not just our Father, He's our Father in heaven. The force of that is, can you believe it? The Creator, the one who made the universe, the Lord of all, is, wants to be in relationship with us in, in intimate ways like this. One of my favorite psalms written by King David, uh, a thousand years before Christ, Psalm 8 Somewhere in the middle, around verse 5, he's, he, kind of is, he kind of moves away from praising God in the heavens and, God, you're amazing, you're infinite, and all those sorts of things. The creation is beautiful. And then he says this. He, he kind of reflects on, what is mankind that you are, are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And he's just saying, you know, you're so beyond us, and yet you, you think about us, you care for us. Jesus is like taking that and raising him some. He's saying, call out to him, Father. We have this intimate relationship with them. One of my absolute favorite things to do right now is hold my little six-year-old boy's hand. He's in kindergarten. We walk to school, and it is just the best. The other day, he just came up, and I was just doing this, and he just kind of put his hand in mine, and I was like, oh, man, I'll take that. And we're just walking on the way to school. He's holding my hand, and he's asking me all his six-year-old boy questions. Daddy, Daddy, is it true that I'm half the size of a whale's heart? Like, let me ask Google real quick. Yes, you are. You are. Daddy, is there a Warriors game tonight? That's a question he asks a lot of time. And I'm like, yes, there's a game tonight. He's like, yes, yes. The other night it was a Mavericks game. He's, I said, yeah, we're playing the Mavericks. We'll watch it. He's like, that means Steph Curry's going to be playing his brother. I'm like, you're six years old. How do you know the Warriors? But I'm just eating it up, holding his hand. I got to school one day, and I was having a conversation with one of, one of the other parents who has uh, two boys. One is in kindergarten. The other is in, you know, a little older, second or third grade. And he was just making conversation, but my heart sunk into my shoes. He was all, yeah, enjoy that while it lasts because it stops at kindergarten or first grade. I'm like, no, I will hold his hand forever, which is so not true. My three-year-old, 
just to give her a shout out here. This week, so I'm, I'm thinking about all this stuff. This week, I'm like walking her out of daycare, and I'm holding her hand. And she's like, we're walking out of the, the hallway. And she's like, Daddy, I don't need to hold your hand. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. That's not up for discussion. Like, she, she lets go of my hand, and turns out, you know, she's not just saying I'm, I've outgrown this. She's just like, I want to skip. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're, all, all is good. Um, the problems I face as a parent. Um, Jesus is saying in prayer, we get to run to the Lord to hold his hand. We get to run to the Lord, and in prayer, we're first and foremost, we're just saying, Father. We get to walk alongside him, just pouring out our hearts to him, and he hears and wants to hear from us. But I think often, you know, maybe we've never done it before, or maybe we've gotten out of the habit, you know, we can move on in the prayer or not just stop and reflect on the goodness of what prayer is, and that is first and foremost to, 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 to be in his presence. Prayer is not about you. It's about him and his relationship to us. In calling him Father, we begin by saying, I'm yours, and he and you are mine. It's an amazing thought. Uh, prayer is not about you. Quick interlude and in thought here, okay? Because uh, what, what we're doing here as we're working our way through is it's not about you, and we're realizing it's about him and, our, and, and his relationship to us. Quick interlude. We also, also see underneath that umbrella of, of prayer is not about us that prayer is actually something that we experience more fully and uniquely in community. Where, where do I see that in the text? He says, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, did, did you notice that? Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? Have you heard this prayer before? Even if you didn't grow up in the church, I'm guessing you've, you've probably heard this prayer. I remember for years, I'd, I'd, as a little guy, I'd say this prayer. And then at one point, I was just like, why am I not saying my Father who art in heaven? Like, nobody's around. I'm like, you know, before you know, I'm in my room getting ready to go to bed. Why don't I say my Father? I tried it. I was like, that doesn't sound right. And it, but that's actually kind of the point. There's, there's a unique power that we experience in coming to the Lord in prayer in community. Now, is that to say we only come to God in prayer in community? No. A couple of verses before that was also read, he said, actually, you know, go into your own private room, shut the door, and seek the Lord in prayer. So it's, it's not saying that it was only in community. That's, that's pretty straightforward. But there's a unique power there that we experience that we get to know more about him when we pray in community. C.S. Lewis argues that uh, the, the best way to get to know friends better is to experience friendship in a community of friends. Uh, that's the idea of you have three friends, friend A, B, and your C, or whatever. The best way to get to know A better is when B pulls out more of who that person is in terms of personality and, and whatnot, as they do for you. You get to know each other better. And if that is the case for how we get to know each other in terms of friendship, in terms of human relationships, how much more does in com a community help us get to know the loving relationship of our Heavenly Father? Uh, this is uh, no better place to do a shout-out for or a plug for our all-church prayer uh, that's coming up. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to do one uh, right before Easter for, for obvious reasons. We want to be praying for that as a church. But, you know, every time we get together, for, we've done it a few times now, we get together for all-church prayer. Um, we'll get together, and it's really informal. Um, in fact, I will, I will always say, don't feel like you have to pray out loud. If, if you're not comfortable doing that's fine. You can just listen in. You can pray silently, whatever you want to do. But I'll tell you, each and every time we do it, there's just this power that you feel in that prayer as you get to know God through his relationship with so-and-so over there as they pray and so-and-so over there if they, when they pray. Does that make sense? And if you've been there, you understand. There's a power coming to him, come in, uh, coming to him in community. But next then, Jesus says, moving, moving along here, uh, hallowed be your name. Now, that's a really interesting word, isn't it? 
Um, it's not really a word that we use nowadays. And it's interesting to me that the translators chose to stick with that word. I mean, usually they're trying to find commonplace words to kind of help us hang our thoughts on. Like, but hallowed, I mean, does anybody even know what that word, are you using that in your day-to-day? Um, I, if you are, yeah, anyways. Um, how, it's just, a, it's a word that we just don't, don't use often. Um, and yet they do stick with it because it just, it drives home something that Jesus is saying that no other word can really, really do well. What it means to hallow is to treat something as sacred and ultimate. To treat something as sacred and ultimate. It's to make something your most important thing. It's to make something the supreme beauty of your life. It's to make something the supreme aim of your life. It means to praise God. It means to seek Him and adore Him as the all-important one. So that goes back, for instance, to the, the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship, you shall not adore other things before me. You should not place as ultimate as the ultimate theme or aim or beauty in your life anything before me. And then Jesus, when he said the, the greatest commandment, he said, the greatest commandment is this: love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. He's, that is to say, don't hallow anything else before the Lord. Put him first as your as your main beauty. Make him your number one. The next thought follows, and we'll, we'll think about them together. He says, and, and then he continues to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if hallowing his name, we're saying, you are the treasure of our hearts. Uh, in declaring his kingdom come, we're saying, your ways are our ways. Um, now, why is this important? And why does Jesus stick this at the very beginning of his prayer? In terms of importance, in terms of the sequential flow, it's because it is incredibly easy, is it not, for our hearts to go in the direction of giving our adoration to something else. Uh, for our ways to not be his, but to be, you know what, I want to do my own thing. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, last week we were looking at, uh, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus was talking about money and possessions. And Jesus said it this way in, in no unclear terms. He said, no one, this is verse 24, can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We talked about this. That was to say that money can very easily become our functioning God. Okay, I'm not going to unpack this all again, but we can become trusters of money where it's just we're consumed with worry that if it, it, it is threatened in this way in our career or 401k or whatever, watch out, or we become lovers of money in our fantasizing and just how much we're, we can become consumed with desire. That's not to say money is a bad thing. It's, it's not an inherently bad thing, but it, be, it can become something that we hallow. It can become something that, hey, you know, what I'm really after, the kingdom I'm really after is the one of money. Um, not just money, it can be other good things, not to mention destructive habits or, or vices. We can hallow things like relationships, physical appearance, career, social status, any number of things uh, can become the thing that we, f we get our ultimate desire, our, becomes our ultimate thing. If, it, if we elevate it to that strength, it can only ever let us down. And that's the point. God's saying, only in me, this is the gospel message, only in me can you find the life that is unconditional, that will always satisfy. Everything else can always let you down. But in, in, in my love, in your relationship with me as my child, and what I've done for you, uh, it, my love is unconditional. Come to me. 
And Jesus is saying, go to the Lord, go to God in our prayers for who He is. Adore Him. Adore the one who adores us. Um, prayer, that, therefore, then reorients our lives towards God, and it reorders our love. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, do you or have you ever run into the Father's, run to hold the Father's hand in prayer? Is that your heart posture to adore Him for who He is, to declare and celebrate uh, that you are His and, and, and He is yours? Is that, is that your heart posture in prayer? Uh, that's the invitation here, that God is not just, you know, a cosmic ATM machine that we go and ask Him to hook it up here and there, or the, uh, the teenager who comes in and says, hey, I just want, you know, hey, give me 20 bucks, Dad, and, and takes off. Um, Jesus gives us an incredible invitation here. The God of the universe, the creator is our daddy. He's our father. We can come to him. Uh, Augustine said this, you should not begin to pray for all you want until you realize that in God you have all you need. I think that, that well uh, summarizes these first, two thought, uh, the, for these first few verses. Still, so, so prayer is not about us. It's not about, it's not about me. It's not about you. Um, still, God does care about our needs. I mean, the very next thought, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Um, there it is. He wants us to take our needs to him. After all, he's our father. He wants to provide for us. He wants to care for us. In a few weeks, we're going to, in the Sermon on the Mount, we, as we move forward, we're going to see these verses. Ask and it will be given to you, Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask him? I find this statement, give us this day our daily bread, this, this idea of Jesus welcoming us to ask about our physical needs, so astonishing. It's just such a remarkable thought. It's similar to what I kind of shared last week when we were talking about money and possessions. You know, when Jesus was talking about money and possessions, his overall thought was not, hey, guys, when it comes to money, holy people just, you know, do what little they can with it. They don't, they don't dirty their hands with it so much. You know, they understand that money is a necessary evil, and then, and then holy people don't concern themselves so much with that. They come over here, and they, they do these spiritual things. Jesus said none of that. Jesus said, steward the money that God gives you invest in it. He's saying, just invest in smart things, things that will last. He's saying, no, steward money. That's a God-given gift. Use it. It's not something unholy. It's just, no, just use it in, in, in ways that are for his kingdom and for the good of others. Same thing, it seems to me, is remarkable about this statement, give us this day our daily bread. He's not, he's, that he includes it means that Jesus is not saying, you know what, really holy people don't act, realize that they don't have needs. You know, you, you, you don't have needs. If you're really holy, you understand this. You won't bother God with that. He says, give us this day our daily bread. That thought to me is remarkable. God cares. He wants to meet our needs. But it's give us this day our daily bread, not give us this day just daily Porsche or whatever you want to add in there. Um, I heard it said, I read it said this way. He said, the prayer is, is therefore for our needs, not for our greeds. 
And I think it's important to think about it from this, from this standpoint in terms of his audience then and his audience today as, you know, first century, uh, first century Palestine uh, listeners versus 21st century Silicon Valley listeners, right? Back then, those guys, they were paid daily, which meant if they got sick over the course of a couple of consecutive days, they were in trouble. Today, I don't think we have that problem as much. Um, but what was the lesson to them? The same it is for us, but from a different angle. They are, we are, uh, they were, we are wholly dependent on God. We are wholly dependent on God. We've got to come to Him and trust Him. And for them, they're like, wow, really? For us, I think it's more, boy, we can't take the fact that, that we, we take that for granted. Do we not? For instance, I feel like this has been one of the really helpful things for us in terms of perspective. Uh, was uh, the, the California drought. I mean, California drought's not a good thing. But in terms of perspective, in terms of the California drought, it's a, it's a healthy reminder, but my goodness, we're dependent on God. In spite of ourselves, often, in terms of how we're stewarding resources, working with the environment, whatever, aside from that, the weather, we are dependent on God. There are some towns that are in real trouble right now. But, you know, I was talking with my son. He's like, what, what's this drought? Like, what, you know... Daddy, why are you thanking God for the rain? Like, oh, yeah, son, we, man, we are dependent on God for our day. This is why we thank God for our food every day. We don't want to take it for granted that God gives good things. So we come to him, we say thank you. Um, praying in this way, I've found, I found, helps give us perspective. Because if we're praying, especially Silicon Valley, 21st century folks, um, it's helping us sift through our wants from our needs, our needs from our wants. Does that make sense? Um, and it gives us perspective. When, when I pray under the umbrella, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray, give us day, this day our daily bread, it, it transforms me from the inside out. Prayer becomes how God gives me so many unimaginable things while simultaneously helping me more fully treat him as God. Let me give an example. So Cindy and I have moved a lot in the last uh, almost 10 years of marriage. We're coming up in June, 10 years of marriage. Very thankful. Uh, we've moved nine times in those 10 years. And actually, over the last, oh boy, I'm not going to get the numbers right, so I'll, I'll just be a little bit vaguer. Over the last few, we've moved a lot. I'll say it that way. And with the, with the launch of Current, um, it's been a little bit more tenuous in terms of, okay, uh, how's this going to work? And, uh, you know, putting us on our knees. Um, and so wrestling, but, but I can tell you, with each of these moves where it's just like, God, your kingdom has to come. There's just no other way. But to see him provide the way he's provided in perfect ways and for the timing of the church, I could just give you stories, stories that just kind of make my skin crawl. It's just like Mike getting rent in the spot, like right down the street at a deal which don't exist in the, in the, in the Silicon Valley to the exact dollar amount of what we budgeted for. It's like, it's insane to me. That's not even my example. Okay, So this last season, we, we were talking about we were moving, and this, this, it's, it felt all the more important to get right because Caleb was getting ready to enter kindergarten. Okay, so it was just kind of it felt like an extra, like, oh, boy. Um, literally, boy. Take care of the boy. You're just praying to him and saying, God, would you work this out? You know how you go through the list of criteria in your prayer. God, would you, would you provide for us, you know, a house that, you know, maybe it has this many rooms, or, you know, that maybe we can, you know, have Cindy's mom stay with us. Um, would it work? You know, for Caleb to be in a school where he'll thrive and it'll be, it'll be a good academics. And you go through all of that, and then you enter the Silicon Valley. 
housing market, and and you get even lower on your knees if that were possible, and and you just and you just you just say, nevertheless, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, and we watch God answer prayers and lead our hearts through prayers in such a way that we come to a place where we wouldn't have orchestrated this way. We wouldn't have written on paper in terms of the house itself, in terms of the uh, the uh, school itself on paper. We would not have orchestrated that way, and yet now, a couple months in, we're just like, my goodness, this is better than what we could have orchestrated. A lot of you guys were praying. A lot of people in community were praying for us, and you know, and this is emotional because, but God, you care more about Caleb than we do. And, and God, if, if we could be a light in this place, if, would, you, would you bring us to a place that maybe, you know, we wouldn't think, that's okay, your kingdom come, your will be done. And do you see then how prayer not leads and guides our hearts in the process as well? Not to mention the really cool part, and that is God hears and answers our prayer. Not to take that for granted. But he guides and he transforms our heart in the process. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the power and beauty of what he's talking about here. It's amazing to me that we come to God as king, your kingdom come. We come to him as king, which means we submit our wills to his. But we also come to him as father, which means not only do we submit our wills to him, we submit our feelings to him. And when things don't go quite the way we'd orchestrate them or think be comfortable or this way or that way, we don't become despondent. We don't become resentful or bitter because we know that the one who is control of all these things, is also lovingly providing for us in ways uh, that will work out for the best. To pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. Um, so God takes care of our needs. Last thought, God cares about our spiritual needs. I think that's what's going on in these last few verses and forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's take these two thoughts in turn briefly here. Forgiveness and deliverance from, from evil. First, he talks about forgiveness. He says, forgive us our debts. I think that word debt is really helpful because it reminds us that forgiveness is costly. There's a cost to forgiveness. If someone wrongs you and you choose to forgive them, like truly, like truly actually forgive, not just in name, like you truly forgive them, there is a cost that you absorb in that exchange, is there not? Uh, there are, you are absorbing the wrong, you are absorbing the hurt, you, absor- you are absorbing the pain. There's a, there's a cost to it. And the greater the offense, the greater the cost. At the same time, there's a cost for the debtor, there's also a, a cost for the debtee. There's the one where this is not always the case, but generally speaking, there, we feel a cost, we feel a weight, we feel a burden that of, of owing, of payment. And so there's this cost, which is what makes Jesus' statement here so powerful. In Christ, God chooses to forgive us. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus Christ paying the cost for forgiveness that he might offer forgiveness freely. To, to anybody who would receive it. Um, the cost is unfathomable. Um, as far as the Bible's concerned, I mean, you know, just to kind of paraphrase it real quickly, it says in certain places, the heart is desperately wick- wicked. Uh, there is no one who is righteous, not one. Uh, for me personally, the more I, I, I live my life, the more I'd like to say that hopefully, I, yeah, I'm becoming more like Jesus in this life, even as I'm nowhere near, you know, 
uh, what that's going to be in the next life. That's when it will happen to its fruition. But as that process is happening, I am also becoming more deeply aware, and I realize more fully how sinful I am, how much I just miss the mark. And I think that is the point. That is the cost. I've had a number of folks, this continues to happen over and over again, which, which makes me really, really um, excited for reasons that I, I can share here in a second. But over and over, people here at Current are coming up and saying, does God really forgive? Can He really forgive? It's a human heart question. And the answer to that is, yeah. In fact, He says, come to me, you know, by extension of give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts. He says, come to me for forgiveness daily, regularly, and I will offer it to you. you these beautiful sayings in the Bible, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us, he chooses forgiveness. We can come daily, and the slate will be wiped clean. Praise God for that. Forgiveness was costly, which Jesus paid so that he can offer it freely. Therefore, then, Jesus goes on to say, it is paramount that we offer it freely to others. So he says, Forgive us, this, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I love the grammar there. I mean, the grammar is like, we have already done this. It's a foregone conclusion. Like, we will have forgiven them. Um, I think he expounds on this thought in, in the, the last two verses, 14, 15. For if you forgive other people, they, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What he's saying is if you really understand the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay the cost of forgiveness, to offer it freely to you, you, will, you won't help but be able to give that freely to others. Now, real quick pastoral you know, footnote, that doesn't mean that we don't seek justice and we just say, ah, it's not a big deal. No, we forgive and we, we work out the justice and all that sort of thing. We, but the point is, if we understand the gospel, then we won't help but forgive others and do so daily. You've heard me say this, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, where how we understand this is, um, for if we, can't, if we can't forgive someone the two sins that they sinned against us, how can we think that God will forgive the two billion sins that we've sinned against them? Um, do you see the power in this prayer? Help us, it helps us live the, the, from the deep power of the gospel how it is both costly yet freely given because of Jesus. One Christian uh, writer put it this way. I thought this was, this was a helpful way to consider it. He said, to lose our grip on the costliness of forgiveness will result in a superficial, perfunctory confession that does not lead to any real change of heart. There will be no life change. To lose our grip on the freeness of forgiveness, however, will lead to continued guilt, shame, and self-loathing. There will be no relief. Only when we see both the freeness and the cost of forgiveness will we get relief from the guilt as well as liberation from the power of sin in our lives. And that in Jesus and God takes care of both. We also see the deliverance from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Boy, I don't have enough time to really unpack this one. So much we could say. Um, but I think high level what we see here is Jesus in this most famous probably of all prayers ever, is putting a big stake in the ground to say that the problems that we face in this life are not just the physical. They're not just the ones we see, interact with, taste, whatever. There's a spiritual component to it. 
that we need to be aware of and we need to ask God's help for. Uh, One of the early Christian writers, the Apostle Paul, put it this way in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day comes of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Now, again, I wish I had more time to, to talk about this, but let me just suffice to say this. There are a lot of people around the world that hear this thought, think about the concept of evil, and it doesn't, doesn't phase them at all. They're like, well, of course. Actually, most people in the world, the, the thought of evil it doesn't phase them. But I think in Silicon Valley, 21st century America, y- yes, I think... I think Jane Silicon Valley, Joe Silicon Valley would hear these words and be like, come on, evil? I'm not so sure. But it's worth considering that there's a lot of actually secular uh, humanists who are actually arguing for we can't do away with the concept of evil, guys. Um, Real quickly, um, I've shared this about a a year ago, I think, in in a previous message, but uh, Andrew Del Banco, a guy, a a Colombian, a a professor at Columbia University, self-described uh, a secular liberalist uh, wrote a book called The Death of Satan, and basically what he argues is we cannot do away with evil, the concept of evil. If we do away with the concept of evil, we have no, no tools left in our toolkit to handle the things that are really pressing around us. And somebody once asked him, well, how can you say that as a secular liberalist? Like, why would you go to, to the point of saying it? He said, because I'm the grandson of, of, of Eastern Jews that lived in the time of Nazi Germany. He's like, if, if, if you're telling me that all I can say is, you know, that, that, that was a physiological issue, all these people killed and murdered and all that sort of thing, that was a physiological issue, I'll tell you that that's, that's, that fails miserably. The justice is not there. It, it, it was evil, is what he said in that interview. Jesus, the Bible, all these things says it's, evil is very real. It's, it's, a, it's a reality. He says, ask for protection from it. I think for what it's worth for Christians, we tend to fall into two camps. We either overestimate it, you know, we stub our toe and, ah, oh, the devil got me. Oh, no. Um, I shouldn't say that. If someone stubs their toes and says, ah, I can't hear me. Oh, or we underestimate it. Underestimating it. Sorry, I don't mean to make, make fun. Um, we, we, we underestimate it. And that's the idea of just we don't think about it at all. We dismiss it. We figure it's not, it's not part of the deal. Um, but that mis- Jesus says we've got to pray for deliverance. Uh, and he will, provide, he will provide for it. Um, the solution is prayer. It's praying something like, Father, I don't understand what, what's all going on in this situation or that, but I understand I need your help in, way, in more ways that I can even think to pray. Please help me protect the church, protect the leaders. We are desperately, we're more dependent on you than we even realize. You know, one more, more like little illustration. Like I, it, Cindy and I get to the place of like when we're doing a big push at, at, for like a current event or something like that. That's why we're it, it, there's almost always just a bunch of funky stuff going on. And we get to the place where it's like comical. Like seriously, this happening. I mean, it's not funny, but it's just like it's comical in the sense of like, well, of course. That's why, by the way, we're doing the all-church prayer before Easter. We want to pray and ask the Lord for protection as he as he moves through. We got to ask the Lord for deliverance and protection and evil against temptation. God is for us. He cares for us. And that is what, is, what this astonishing prayer is about. He wants us to run to Him in prayer. Give Him 
our hand. He will listen to us. He will, he will transform us, leading us and guiding us. Um, so what do we learn? What are some high-level thoughts real, real quickly here in conclusion? Um, well, one thought we've been, we've been talking about is, again, prayer ultimately is not about you. It's about Him and His relationship to us. He is our Father. He is our King. He is our provider. He is our forgiver. He is our deliverer and protector. This prayer is about Him and that He cares for you and me and that we can run to Him. He wants to hear from us. Uh, Another thought is prayers don't have to be long. You know, I've spent a number of minutes trying to unpack something that that could be, you know, a whole series on itself, this one little prayer. But don't forget, if you recite Jesus' prayer, you could probably do it in about 10, 15 seconds tops. It's a short prayer. And in fact, right before the prayer, he's like, don't babble. God doesn't, he's not interested in being impressed. He just wants you to come to him with your heart as it is. It doesn't have to be super eloquent. He just wants to hear from you. If you don't know how to do it, just start by saying, Father, I've never done this before. I don't really know how. Perfect. He just wants to hear from you. They don't need to be super long. Um, But he does want us to come to him regularly, daily, um, if not more. I've read uh, prayer is the breath of the Christian life all day long. Just breathe in, breathe out. It's the way you live. Isn't that a helpful thought? It's amazing to me, and I'll conclude on this thought. It's amazing to me that this one who taught us to pray, the one who gives us this model prayer, also on basically every page of his life modeled for us prayer. Jesus praying all the time which is just so mind-boggling. If there was somebody who didn't need to pray, probably lose Jesus. I mean, first of all, he didn't even have to pray that one part of the prayer, forgive me my sins. He's good. He didn't just cut that part. Now you got an eight-second prayer. No, no. He didn't need to pray that prayer. He had a perfectly intimate relationship with God the Father. He talks about that often, which is the point. That's why he was always praying. That's why he models for us for prayer. He healed people with prayers. He denounced the corruption of the temple worship, which he said should be a house of prayer. He insisted that that some demons could be cast out only through prayer. Hebrews 5 tells us he prayed prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears and sometimes all night. Luke 3 tells us the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying. Luke 9 tells us he was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he died, and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. So my question is this. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? And that's the invitation that he gives us today, that we get to, we get to run and hold the hand of our Heavenly Father who not only listens and hears, but wants to listen and hear. He can't wait. We get to hold his hand. He taught us to pray. He beckons us to pray in this beautiful way. Can you believe it? Let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us to pray. Thank you that because of the work of Christ on the on the cross, it is now possible for us to come to you in prayer. Because Jesus died for us, we, are, we can become, by faith, children of God. We give you praise. That we can call you 
Abba, Father. If there's anyone here today who this is the first time they've heard this or they've been thinking about this and they feel your Holy Spirit tugging on their heart, would you help them put their faith in you even now? And then if this is you, you can, you can do this in heart by prayer. Say, God, Father, I receive what you've done for me. I've received what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, forgiving my sins that I can have life in his name. That's the gospel of Jesus. And you say that prayer in your heart, he will receive you as a child. Thank you, Father, still further that you care for our needs, both the unseen and the seen needs. We adore you. We love you. We pray in your son's name. Amen.